0: Well, good morning, Cross Point. morning, morning. It's a good day, good Sunday. It's great outside. It's not as hot anymore as it was uh, for the past week or so, so that's been enjoyable. Um, Pastor Bruce is here. He's wandering around the campus, right? He's, he's not gone, um, but uh, he did ask me to preach this morning. It's just my wonderful privilege to, to be here, to be up here, to open the Word of God with you guys, and, and really just to kind of dig into the book of James. I, I hope the... Um, Uh, The small groups have been going well. Uh, That's just been a push that we've been having for the past few weeks, and we just really want everybody in small groups. Just to kind of drop that, if you're not in a small group, it's not too late. You know, please join a small group. Please get in there. Uh, They're they're studying James alongside as we preach through the book of James, and so uh, hopefully that will be encouragement to all of you. But uh, why don't you go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. We're just plowing right through it. We'll be in verses 12 to 18 this morning. And as you guys turn there, I'm just going to go ahead and, and pray for us one more time to ask the Spirit to bless us and to open our hearts to receive God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your Word. Lord, we pray now, Lord, as we open your word, that you will just soften our hearts and our minds. May the the Spirit work in our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And Lord, as we just studied the book of James together this morning and, and for the next several weeks, Lord, may you just continue to work in our hearts, work in our lives, that we may grow in your love, grow in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we may live all for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As some of you already may know, if I, as I've used several times as I, as I preach, right, I used to be a math teacher. Right, I, my undergraduate degree was in math. And I was one of those few, for whatever reason, I, I still can't really explain it, math was just always very interesting to me. I just loved it for whatever reason. I, I, I liked the numbers. I liked the equations. I liked the formulas. And when you really think about it, right, we all use math, right, whether it's basic addition, subtraction, multiplication for everyday use, or it's the calculus, statistics, and differential equations for jobs like actuarial work or, or engineering. You know, math is everywhere. And I'm going to be a little bit of a nerd here if I haven't already been, right? But when, when I was in my undergraduate class, I would get really excited when I would sign up for these, these advanced math classes, right? I, I, I would think, you know, to myself, you know, yes, multiplication works, division works, calculus works, but, but why, right? And, and I always wanted to know the why. How did it all fit together? Why do the formulas we use and learn actually work? And, and that excited me. I know I'm a complete nerd. <laughs> And, and at the start of the quarter, right, I, I would be taking these math classes. I'd go in with such excitement. And then, as any college student would experience, right, midterms hit, right? Midterms come around. And I would remember I would be sitting in this room. I don't even know where it was anymore. It's just this, all I remember is a room with my fellow classmates trying to understand the book and the class notes. Just, that's all we would try to do is just figure it out. And then it would roll around about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd begin to curse math, right? I'd begin to curse math. I'd I'd say say things like, no one's ever going to use this. No one knows what these theorems are. I got addition. I got subtraction. That's all I'm going to do when I take my discounts off, you know, like the clothes I'm going to buy, right? That's all I'm going to use it for. Why do I need any of this? No one, right? It's just, it's just, what is all this stuff, right? And, and what started out as extreme joy and excitement of learning math became a horror story, right? Math was my enemy by midterms, and I hated it by finals, right? It was against me and wanted to defeat me, and oh, how quickly my heart and mind changed when the troubles of a test came by. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Bruce preached uh, verses 1 through 8, which talked about trials. And that the proper perspective of trials is that God puts us through it and uses trials to refine us and grow us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should count it all as joy. We are to count trials as joy. But with that said, right, the, the process of living through a trial is hard. It's still hard. Right, No one's not going to deny that, not even James. James isn't going to deny the difficulties of living through a trial, because it is hard. And in the midst of a trial, because of how difficult it could be, it can tempt us to sin against God. To doubt and deny God's goodness, righteousness, and his love for us. And it is this issue, this process of living through a trial and its difficulties that James is going to talk about this morning. He's going to address what can go on in this difficult trial and and the temptation to sin against God. And so to give you a bit of a roadmap of where we're going to go this morning, we're going to see three things, right? We're going to see the promise, the temptation, and the reality. Three things, the promise, the temptation, the reality. Just to kind of hang your thoughts on so you know where we're going. So first up, the promise. The promise, right? The promise of what we will receive when we go through trials God's way. This is gonna, you're going to see this in verse 12. In verse 12, let me go ahead and read verse 12 to you. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Looking back, right, in James, in verses 2 to 4, he talks about what a trial produces. It produces steadfastness, which leads to being made perfect and complete. In other words, a trial, as I've already stated, right, makes us become like Jesus, who is perfect. Now, we'll never be perfect like him in this day and age, right, in this life, but that's the goal. That's the goal, our sanctification, to become more like Christ. To think of it a different way, right, the purpose of a trial is not for us to fail, but to succeed. It's not for us to fail, but to succeed. God does not put his children through trials hoping they will fail the test. I mean, you got to think about this, right? We're to count trials as joy because God in using trials, he's using it to grow us in our faith. God wants us to love him more, worship him more, and be more like his son. So God doesn't want us to fail in these aspects. Which is why God gives us wisdom when we ask for it. He gives us the tools that we need to remain steadfast and endure through all trials. Because again, the goal is to make us love him more. To become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So God does not want us to fail in trials, he wants us to succeed. He wants us to succeed. And so the promise that we see the, uh, in verse 12 is that God's children will receive the, the crown of life if they remain steadfast under trial. James is not talking about a one-time trial here, like a one-off. As long as you, you get one, you're good. No, he's, he's talking about the trials of life. All the trials of life from now until Jesus returns or takes us home. And the steadfastness having stood the test that James is talking about is a, is a it's not a I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps kind of thing and, and I'm going to depend on my own ability and my own efforts. But rather the steadfastness James speaks of is an unwavering commitment that matter, no matter what happens in life, no matter what you go through, that you're going to trust in God, in who he is, because he never changes. His character is always remaining the same. He is good. He knows best. And therefore, you will depend upon his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to live through those trials. And it's when you have this type of steadfastness, this this complete and unwavering commitment to God, the gospel and his way, Throughout all the trials of life that you will receive the crown of life, which simply is referring to heaven. Right. Now, James, if you may be thinking like, oh, man, to endure every single trial of my life, that's, that's a pretty tall order. James is not saying that we're never going to fail. Right? He, he, you know, we're not going to fail one trial or potentially even multiple trials throughout our lives, which is most likely going to be the case. At times we're going we're gonna to be weak. At times we're going to doubt. At times we're going to question. And it can lead us into sin. Right. So James is not saying that we won't fail, but what he's saying is that the general trajectory, the overarching result, so to speak, as you live through all those trials is one of trust of God. Is one of trust of God, right? Is this when you can step back and look at someone's life and go, yeah, he, he trusted God. Yeah, you know, he didn't do everything the right way. Yeah, he might, he might have failed here and there and, 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 and didn't succeed here and there. But for the well, most part, he had an unwavering commitment to Christ and his gospel and his word. And that's kind of what James is talking about here. Notice at the end of the verse, though, right, right, the promise the, that God is going to give is for those who love him. In other words, this promise is only for believers. Believers are the only ones uh, by his grace who've trusted the the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection that truly love God. Now, as I said earlier, right, the, the goal of a trial is not for God's children to fail, but to succeed. And so if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will pass this test by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, so this is kind of one of those like, yeah, you know, here's the promise, and you're gonna get it, you're gonna receive it if you're His children, because of His grace and how He carries you through everything. But the reason why James states this because embedded in this promise is sort of a, a sort of a warning, right? Because the thing is, we will fail; there will be times where we'll falter, and we won't have that unwavering commitment to Christ. And then a crucial question at that point in juncture. Is what do you do? What do you do at that point when you fail? What do you do when you lack trust in God? What do you do when you begin to not only doubt God's goodness, but then to start to act upon that doubt? And then maybe begin to deny God's goodness. What do you do then? Right? And the crucial part is that at that point, hopefully it's, you repent of that sinful attitude, repent of those sinful actions, and then God will take you back. But, but that's the crucial question there. And, and James is really going to get into that in the next few verses. And so embedded in this process is somewhat of a warning. Are you remaining steadfast? Are you having an unwavering commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God? Settled to do it his way and not your way that you may receive the crown of life. Right? We're going to get in to what that may look like and and, and what that bad process may look like when you don't commit to God. Again, but but, but let's take a step back and just reel in the process, right? Reel in that promise. If you remain steadfast, if you trust in God, he'll see you through. He'll see you through and you will receive the crown of life. You just simply must endure by his grace. And remember... In boot camp, towards the end of boot camp, I was in the army for a little bit, uh, and towards the end of boot camp, we would have this uh, rucksack march. And what this meant was that you were to go out fully geared, uh, you know, all your whole you know, fatigues and everything, your M16, and you would have a rucksack, which is approximately 40 pounds. And, um, and you just had to march. It just took out early in the morning. I don't remember how early, five, maybe six, whatever, something like that, somewhere early in the morning, and we just marched. And I don't know how long we marched. I don't remember the distance. I just remember it was long. <laughs> And I remember, and so at the beginning of boot camp, uh, right at the start, we're given all our, all our equipment. And one of the equipment that they give us are two canteens of water. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but one of my canteens, when I first drank water out of it, tasted like it had mold in the canteen. Nastiest taste ever, right? And so I did everything I could to wash out the canteen, rinse like scalding hot water through it, you know, put soap and let it, you know, kind of marinate the soap in there. Hopefully it'll, it'll clean everything out, right? But no matter what I did, the taste remained. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just never going to drink out of that canteen. I'm just going to drink out of the first canteen water bottle. We always have to have it filled, right? Because if we didn't have water in it, we'd do push-ups and everything and all that good stuff, right? So I always had to have water in it. So here we are in this rucksack. And by the way, if you don't know, I... I hate marching, and in fact, I wouldn't walk if I didn't have to. I'd drive every day where I go, right? Um, if I could just kind of hop on a little scooter here and just kind of scoot my way out and get in the car, that, that'd be great. So I didn't really like marching. <laughs> so here I am, we're marching along our way. It's, you know, who knows how long. I don't know when the end is. They don't tell us how far it's going to be. And I have drank all the water out of my first canteen. And I'm sweating profusely here, okay? Again, I, I don't walk, okay? I don't like to march, okay? And, and I'm just sweating profusely and I'm getting dehydrated. The sun is beating on me. We're in Oklahoma. I'm never going back to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> we're in Oklahoma, right? And, and, and so, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're marching through, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thirsty. I'm dehydrated. Water can't be that bad, right? Can't be that bad. And so I take it out, and I'm, I just guzzle it because I'm just thirsty. I drink like probably half the canteen. Immediately, reaction, I just vomit everywhere, right? It's just all over. I'm, I'm marching and vomiting at the same time. I'm stepping in my own vomit here, right, as I go. And it's just terrible. Worst taste ever. And the only thing that can go on in my mind at that moment in time is this. If I stop, they're going to make me do this again because that's what they told us in the beginning. If you stop, we're going to make you do it again. You have to make it to the end. And so I'm thinking, I just, I just got to make it. How far is it? I don't know. But it's closer than restarting. That's all I know, right? Wherever I'm at, it's closer than restarting. So I just got to keep pushing through. And then, of course, thank the Lord, five minutes later, we ended. We ended and, and we were good. You know, none of us know. None of us know when Jesus will return, right? Only the Father knows. None of us know when Jesus will return. None of us know when Jesus will take us home. All of that is, belongs to God. It's a mystery, and we'll never know. We don't know when our last days on earth will be. We don't know when Christ will return. It's impossible for us to say, hey, all I need to do is endure X amount of days. We, d- we just don't know that. But I can tell you what, you're closer today than you were yesterday, right? You're closer today than you were yesterday, And we just got to hold on to that prize, hold on to that crown of life and endure by the grace of God. Just to look at his promise, to know that he's going to carry us through no matter what trials we may go through. And each and every day, we're, we're closer. For either the Lord to return or take us home and we can be with him in glory. We just have to remain steadfast and endure. Of course, right, as we talked about earlier, right, there is a little bit of warning. What can we do when we don't? That kind of comes to the second point this morning, right? The temptation. The temptation. Let me go ahead and read verses 13 to 15 for us. <clears throat> Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In these few verses, again, James is addressing the concern that he may have perhaps with some of his readers and what they're going through and what their trials and how they're responding to it. The truth that is presented in these few verses, if you take a step back and listen to it, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. Big picture summary before we get into the details. Big picture summary here is that this, the source of sin, the source of sin for actions comes from the person and nowhere else. The source of sinful action comes from the person. Nowhere else. And the reason why this truth is so difficult to accept, because ever since the Garden of Eden, right, we humans, we like to blame shift. We like to blame shift. Right? In general, we like to think we're right. We like to think we're right. Ask my wife. I'm right all the time. Right? All the time. (laughs) And she'll respond to you. She's right all the time, right? <laughs> and then we're at a standstill, right? <laughs> but like this is what we like to do. We don't like to say that we're sorry. Because this admits fault. This admits fault. We like to look at everything and everyone else as the problem, but not us. If you've ever been around kids long enough, right? If you've taken care of kids, if you've had kids and or whatever, you know, just around the little ones, you'll always hear he made. She made me do it. Blame shifting at a young age. Where did they learn that? It's come from their own sinful nature. Right? It's part of their own sinful nature. But we as adults, we're not much different. We'll say things like, it's society's fault. They didn't help me. It's the culture's fault. I don't know how to live in this culture. Or I want to go against the grain. It's my parents' fault. They they didn't bring me up the right way. It's so-and-so's fault. Or maybe we'll spiritualize it. And we'll say, oh, it's Satan's fault. Satan made me do it. We we want to blame shift and place the source of our sinful actions on someone else or anyone else. Now, I'm not saying, not saying that the influences of the world or perhaps something in your life may be leading you into sin. That very well may be the case. There might be a terrible influence in your life today that is trying to lead you into sin. But the reality that James talks about in this passage is that while that influence may be there, while that influence might be trying to to push you along to do the sinful action, ultimately, the doing of the sin, the acting of the sin is you. You have to own up to your responsibilities. God holds you responsible for that, not the person that's influencing you. He has a different responsibility that God's going to hold that person to. But you're still responsible for your own actions and your own sins. So now that we have that summary there, And we know where James is going. What he presents in these few verses is a logical progression. we got to follow the logic. So let's pick up the breadcrumbs and follow James in his explanation. Okay, remember the context. James is speaking to a situation where people are in the midst of a trial. And it's difficult, right? And and in this trial, you can get to the point where it seems really, really hard, and you really don't know what to do, and and, and, and there's just no end in sight. And so verse 13 kind of speaks to that moment. And he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. In the midst of a difficult trial, one can be tempted to blame God for the trial. And furthermore, not only blame God for the trial, but blame God for tempting them to sin because of the trial. Let me me provide an example for you, hypothetical scenario, to kind of visualize what James is saying. Let's say you lose your job and you were the only source of income for your family. Okay, you're the only one working, you're the only one making money, you're the only one using that money to buy food, and you lose your job. Not only do you lose your job, you burn through all your entire savings, and and you get to the point where you don't have money anymore. And it wasn't like you weren't diligently working, I mean, looking for a job. You were, just nothing was there. And you burn through all your savings, and you're at the point where you no longer have any money. If there is no money that comes in, there is no food on the table to feed yourself or your family. And so what do you do at this point? You begin to blame God. Why, God? Why? He's supposed to be good. He's supposed to provide. But here you are, without food, without money, and you begin to think, God put me here. God put me here. He he put me in this terrible situation with no money, no job, and no food to provide for my family. And it's his fault that you're in this terrible situation. Now, because you need food, you need to put food on a table for your family, and God is apparently not helping you with that, you begin to think, okay, he's not helping me. I gotta help myself. Maybe I gotta steal something. Maybe I gotta steal some, some stuff and, and sell it so I can make money. Or maybe I just gotta steal food so I can put that on the table. So I can put my, so my family can eat. And so you begin to be tempted with this idea of stealing because you're blaming God for the temptation, right? He puts you in that trial, he's, and, and he's, you would never think of this temptation if God didn't put you in this trial because he put you in this trial. Now you're blaming God like you're tempting me to sin, God. Like I don't want to steal, but you put me in here. What do you, what do you want me to do? I'm trying, and you're not helping. It's your fault, God. And that's kind of that's kind of what James is addressing here. But James says you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't blame God for the trial and you can't blame God for the temptation to sin in that trial. Verse 13 says for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. The idea here is that God has no evil in him. He is completely righteous in every sense of the word. And because he is righteous and has no evil in him, there is absolutely no way, no way that God can tempt someone else with evil or basically to sin, right? This is like saying, if you have no idea how to add and subtract, like my daughter who's four years old, she doesn't know how to add, she doesn't know how to subtract. And it's like going to her and going, Lydia, can you teach me how to add and subtract? She's just going to look at you and smile right, because she you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, right? She don't know how to add and subtract. How can she teach anyone to add and subtract? In the same way, God has no evil in him. He is completely righteous. He is with, he's without sin and would never sin. He is completely perfect. Therefore, how can he lead someone to sin? It's no way. It's impossible. It's the character of God, right? And so you can't blame God The temptation to sin. But then this leaves us with some unanswered questions here, right? Well, where does temptation come from then? Where does temptation come from then? Well, sticking with the example we've created, this hypothetical situation, the question would then be like, where does temptation to steal come from? Where did it come from? Verse 14 gives us the answer. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The temptation comes from your own desire. In, in our example, right, the temptation to steal an item or, or to steal food uh, to provide, you know, for your, for your family, right, is that it's the, te- it's the desire to obtain provision by any means necessary. Right, it's that idea in your mind, I'm going to do whatever it takes to provide for my family, even if it means going against God's word. That, des- that temptation comes from that desire, that one has in the heart. It's not wrong to provide for your family. I'm not trying to say that. But it is wrong to try to provide for your family when it means going against God's word. Right? Does that make sense? And so that's what's going on. It's your own sinful desires that's kind of coming out and kind of bringing these temptations to the foreground. Right? And that's where here, as I talked about earlier, the little bit of warning, this is where when You begin to be tempted to sin because of a trial where we need to take a step back. We need to stop. we got to think, okay, I'm not remaining steadfast right now. I'm not enduring in, in, in Christ. I'm not trusting in God the way I should be trusting in God. I don't have this unwavering commitment. And here in this trial we begin to go, okay, God, help me. This is where repentance comes in. This is where we seek the wisdom from the Lord and repent to him and say, God, by your grace, help me through this. And, and as we learned earlier a couple weeks ago, God will give you the wisdom. He will give you the tools. He will help you through. But you need to see the sin. You need to see the, the sinful desires and the repentance needs to start. Because what happens, right, what happens if we read on, right, what happens when, when you don't repent and that, that sinful desire remains in your heart, what's going to end up happening is it will become action. It will become action. Right? If if you look back down, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. That's where the action comes in. Right? When when it stays desire, that's still bad. You got to repent of that. But when you don't repent, that desire will eventually come into action. You will eventually sin. It will eventually manifest itself in you doing something when you don't repent. And this is bad, right? This is bad. This is not good. This is bad news. Because what happens when we read the end of 15, right? After when desire has conceived, gives birth to sin, and then what? And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When desire moves into action, not only are you just dealing with both a sinful desire and sinful action, right? The reality is what's going on is you're just now living in sin. And this is the part where it becomes pretty crucial, right? If repentance doesn't happen, what ends up happening is you perpetuate the sin. It keeps on happening. It keeps on going. And you're rolling down a really bad hill. And what happens is is you start to remain in habitual sin, and habitual sin is bad because what ends up happening is if you are sinning daily, continually not trusting in God, continually saying, God, you can't do anything for me. I'm going to deny you and I'm going to do things my own way. And you begin to live your life like that and you never repent and you continue to go down that road. What's, what's happening now? You're not remaining steadfast. Why are you not remaining steadfast? Well, you don't love God. Because only those who love God will remain steadfast. Well, if you don't love God, what's, now we're starting to question, well, where's your heart? Did you have faith? Did you know Christ? Do you know the gospel? Is he real to you? And these questions begin to swirl, and that's kind of where the warning of that promise is coming in. It's like, oh, check yourself. Check yourself. Are you, are you having an unwavering commitment? If not, and, and you have these sinful desires, are they, are they becoming action? If they're becoming sinful actions, what are you doing? Are you repenting? Are you turning back to God? Or are you going to live in your sinful ways? And we begin to, to see that James is, and in these, these few verses, he's, he's peering into our hearts. He's peering into our hearts, and he's forcing every single one of us this morning. I, I, I've just been rocked all week by this. He's forcing every single one of us this morning to kind of look at the Word of God, the living Word of God that's peering into your soul. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where's your heart? Are you living in a way that's not committed to Christ, not committed to God? Is a trial just so burdensome that you're just trying to take it on your own rather than to give it to God? He's asking, he's making us ask the question, are we failing the test? Are sinful desires giving birth to sinful action? Is my sin going to grow up and bring forth death? And death right there is referring to condemnation, right? Because you're not going to receive the crown of life. And these are some hard-hitting truths. He's forcing us to think through these things. Right? Remember, God wants his children to pass the test. He wants us to succeed. But this requires that we trust God. We seek his wisdom. And when we fail, we repent and go back and seek his wisdom. And it's a never-ending process, really. That's really kind of all of life, right? We, we go through a trial it gets hard. Sometimes we don't do very well, and we waver, and we don't trust in God, but then we just got to trust in God. And, just is, but, and it, it, as long as we continue to trust in him, as long as we continue to come back to him, we can hold on to that promise. But you got to come back. Right. This kind of leads us to the last point this morning, the reality. When you take a step back and you look at life and look at God's word, what's the reality of really our life, and what's the reality of Trials. Because really the reality of trials is we count it all joy, right? We count it all joy. Let's read verse 16 to 18 together. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first root of his creatures. When someone makes a statement that they're being tempted by God, When someone begins to doubt God's goodness and starts to listen to the world thinking that there is no such thing as a good God, when people begin to to fall into their own temptations and start to do things that they believe is right rather than what God's word says, really what's going on at this point is you're being deceived. You're being deceived. You're being deceived by the world. Maybe you're being deceived by false teachers. You're being deceived by your own sinful desires. But here's the reality. Here's the reality of life, Christians. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, all the good and perfect gifts come from the Father. And really, that means everything. Right? And how do we know this to be true? Because there's no variation or shadow due to change when it comes to the Father. In other words, God's character does not change. He will always be good. He will always be righteous. And he will always be just. So even though... We can't make sense of the world, even though we can't make sense of what's going on in our own lives, because sometimes we just can't, and we just don't know. The truth that we all hold on to, no matter what we may face or experience, no matter what we may see, is that God will always be who he is. Always. Nothing changes that. Nothing and so James says, don't be deceived, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be deceived into thinking that God will change, right? That, that God will be someone different than what the scriptures have revealed. When you take a step back and you look at the big picture, this is why we can say we can count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because God is active in our lives. And he's a good God. He's not a passive God that sits back and just kind of lets things happen. He's a good God, a righteous God, a just God, and he's active in each and every one of our lives. And so we can trust that. We can can trust him. We can remain firm on that truth. And so if God is good and active in our lives, then everything from God is good. Everything from God is good. Because no matter whatever it is that he's using, he's using it to draw us closer to him. He's using it to cause us to worship him more, to love him more, to remain steadfast that we may receive the crown of life when he comes back or when he takes us home. So understanding this truth. This will help us fight the temptation to blame things on God, help us to fight our own temptation desires to do things outside of God's word, knowing that God is good and merciful, always, always ready for us to repent and come back to him and we fail because all things that come from him are good. You know, when I first first married Kristen, my lovely wife, uh, I remember she tried to get me to eat sushi. Now, I did not like sushi when we were first married. I was one of those individuals that kind of thought, wait a minute here, okay, first off, raw fish, mm, no, okay? Secondly, why am I paying full price for a half-done meal? (laughs) Right, let's think about this, right? Why am I paying full price? You didn't even cook the fish. Did you miss something here? Right? Like, <laughs> right? And I just, I, you know, and then just again, the, the, the thought of a raw fish it doesn't make me go, mmm, yummy. Right? Like, it just it doesn't do that to me. And, and I just did not want to eat sushi. And she always tried to get me to do it. And she's like, come on, just try it with me. Just try it with me. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. It's awesome. And I'm like, no. <laughs> but one day she goes, look, look, look. Let me take you out to a good sushi restaurant, you know, like legit, okay, so we can't go to the, like, you know, the ones that cost like a dollar or something like that. Let me just take you out to a really good one, okay? And if you don't like it, I'll never bring it up again. But you gotta try it, you just gotta try it. And I said, oh, fine, because I love you and you're my wife, let's do this, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go. And so we go, I, I don't remember what was at the restaurant, I don't even remember what I ate, but what I do remember Cause I love sushi now. <laughs> I just love it. It was so good. <laughs> I just, I, I I mean, just man, I mean, I know some of you may, here maybe not like it, but for me, it was just so good. And especially the, the those specialty rolls. And they make it all like, oh, the I mean, it's ah, man. I'm probably gonna maybe go get some tonight. You know, <laughs> like I can eat it all day. I can eat it all day. Now here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Did sushi change from when I didn't want to eat it to when I ate it? No. And from my perspective, it was always good. I just never gave it a chance. It was always good. It always tasted great. I just need to give it a chance. And, I, and once I ate it, I knew. And kind of in a similar way, like, look, look, everything that we go through, trials in life, it's, it's for our good. It might not be from our perspective at that moment in time. It might be super difficult, and we might be like, "Why, God?" But when we take a step back, it's not like God has changed. God hasn't changed. It's still for our good. He loves us. And he's going to bring us through it all. It's been a lot of of deep truths given here today, a lot of of things to think about. So let me just take a step back and and, and just very quickly, you know, give us kind of two ways, just two things to hang your thoughts on as you walk out this morning to to kind of reflect on for the passage, right, to, to hopefully apply Right, Simply one is, right, right? We, we were given a promise. If you're in a trial this morning, if you're going through a difficult time, and my heart goes out to you, let one of the pastors know that, that we may pray for you. But trust, more importantly, trust in the promise that God has given you. Seek his wisdom. He'll help you endure. He'll see you through it. He is growing you through this. Even though you may not see it at the moment, even though it may not make any sense, he is growing you and drawing you near to him because he loves you if you're his child. So, so as you take a step back and look at, look at the trial, ask yourself, like, how is God drawing me close to him? How is God good? How does this remain? How can, I, how can I praise him for who he is, even in the midst of this trial? And then secondly, right, as you reflect, if you've gone wrong, if you've veered off the path, repent. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Come back to God. He will always have his open arms to you, Always. For all who come to him, right, he'll have his open, arms wide open, he'll receive you in, he'll forgive you, but you need to repent. You need to repent. If you're here this morning and you're going through a difficult time and you don't know Christ, he's opening his arms now. Come to me. Come to me and you'll see how joyful it can be to be in a trial because I'm going to draw you to me. I'm going I'm to show you the wonderful things I can do in your life. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to make you love me more. I'm going to make you worship me, and in that sense, I'm going to make you obey me, and and it's going to be great. And you're going to live life the way it's supposed to be lived, according to the Scriptures. So it's my prayer that as you guys, as we close this morning, just think through that. Let your mind marinate on that, and think of all the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. We thank you, Lord, that You are a good God, a righteous God and a just God. I pray for anybody here this this morning, Lord, if they don't know you, may you grip their hearts this morning. May you draw them to you. May May they just give their life to you, Lord. May they trust in you rather than their own ability. May they trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you died and you rose from the grave, Lord, to show your power over sin and death and that all who believe in you will receive the crown of life. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. I, pray, I don't know everyone's situation this morning, but I just pray for everyone. If, if you're in the trial, my, my prayer goes to you, Lord. Uh, my prayer goes to you that the Lord will help you through it, that you would trust in him, and that he would give you the wisdom to live through the trials. Lord, we pray that you draw us closer to you. We pray that you will help us to worship you more, and that we may love you and give you all the glory in all the things that we do in our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Thank you. There's prayer to, the, to my right. If you need any, have a wonderful and blessed weekend.